It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to Reliving the War exclusively to the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. My name is Nims Azul. Joined, as always, by my tag team partner, Simon Tackler. This is the podcast where we do what it says in the title and relive the Monday Night Wars. We are running through 1998. We're up to WWF, fully loaded in your house. It's the road to SummerSlam. And Simon, once again, this pay-per-view for me unlocked a whole bunch of memories. Because I think we're really in the prime where, I don't know, I don't know about you, but this was where I was really invested as a wrestling fan. Like you're mature enough to not be a kid, but you're also immature enough to not be an adult and just sort of really enjoy, you know, sports entertainment that uh, Vince was offering. Well, the weird thing about you saying that is that in my mind, the attitude era, especially this era here, like this is really the peak, like you said, to me, this is still where my brain thinks of new wrestling because, you Mm -hmm. know, when I was even younger, I grew up watching all the Hulk Hogan tapes and then the new generation and Shawn Michaels. But this felt like something different. But then what's funny about it, when I go back and think about it, in 1998, I was only 11 years old. But (laughs) this still felt like, oh, this is the new, you know, um, mature stuff. But I remember every month going to Video Easy and just waiting for that new release. And, you know, this is one of them. I remember going there and getting it and uh, feeling many feelings during one match in particular that I think is a memory burnt into every young boy's mind who uh, watched this video without their parents really knowing what it was, thinking, oh, it's just that wrestling stuff. Bit of Hulk Hogan. The, Hulk, the Hulk Hogan and maybe maybe Hakushi. Is Hakushi still wrestling? <laughs> yeah. Giant Haystack still there? You know, yeah, we're like, long gone. We're long gone from the days of Coliseum video, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> Now, it's funny that you mentioned that because there is a there is a bit of an age gap between you and myself because I was 14 at the time when this came out. So I'm in year eight. And you know, when you're in year eight, you think you know everything and you, you are like, and wrestling was very, very big in uh, my high school at the time because this was where Channel 10 would have those one hour or th- I think two hour packages where this is why like WrestleMania 14 for me, there are so many extra bits because I first watched it on TV and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that happened and this happened, but I remember Fully Loaded was one that I did get from the movie land that was just up the road. And let's get straight into it because we start off with uh, a cold open, which is unusual. Uh, It's not one of the produced video packages, which is great, but we'll get to it. But this is Jerry Lawler backstage with Sable. Now I was watching this and my partner Steph was also in the room. She was just on the laptop and she's looked up and seen (laughs) the hijinks that's going on. And all I could say to her was, oh, look, it was a different time. And I was trying to think, was this really part of the pay-per-view or was this like a, a home video exclusive? 
I think this was part of the pay-per-view. Might have been. Because it didn't have the video, you know, the exclusive video exclusive yeah, uh, that was true. flashing at the bottom. Yeah. Or actually, what I reckon is this was probably the thing that was playing on main event. Just, you know, maybe if the pay-per-view started at 6 p.m., this is the thing that's... No, sorry, if the pay-per-view started at 10 a.m., this is what was playing at like 9.58. I think you're right. And you know what? Like whether you were an adult who was like, oh, that's won me over or a kid whose parents aren't home and you know you can call up Office Vision or whoever and fake yep. your dad's birthday and voice. Yeah. I did for every yeah. time. And he didn't even care after I was like, yeah, you just order it, you know, mm. so... That is something that, that that's, that's another memory that uh, is pretty lost of all, all days where, you know, you'd call up Foxtel and put the pin in and be <laughs> like, you know, and confirm with main event that this will be added to your bill. And yeah. they were good times. Um, now, we, we started with a fantastic video package, um, which basically just sums up, can Austin and Undertaker coexist and convince, maintain control? As you said, you pretty much summed it up. This is basically new wrestling now. The only remnant that we have of when we first started doing this podcast is that WWF blimp that's still there and that one <laughs> shot because everything is so new. Yeah, everything is different. The the ring apron, the look of it, the open, just everything. The scratch is, logo. Yeah, this is not the same show at all. We've gotten rid of every last remnant in terms of the presentation. What... The only thing they've kept, and it's a valuable asset, is Jim Fagan, the, the voiceover dude, who is fantastic here. After a couple of months of Freddie Blassie doing the voiceover, we've got Jim Fagan back. And just the style of video packages with the old, you know, like um, classical music and whatever. Yeah. This was so good. We can't keep saying that these are better than the WCW videos. <laughs> In 1998, that's it. It's a runaway now. It's not even close. There is no competition. Also, this would be the first time that I learned the word cahoots because yeah. this was uh, the peak of cahoots. Arcane mm. and the Undertaker in cahoots. Cahoots and collusion. This, yeah. this is a, Collusion was another word that I overused <laughs> in the late 90s as well. I smell collusion. Um, but we'll get to our first match, which is Val Venus taking on Jeff Jarrett. Now, you forget... At least it's so funny how like with the benefit of um, not the benefit of hindsight, but I feel like there's been a lot of um, revisionist history because people really shit on the attitude era a fair bit now. Like say, Oh, you know, it wasn't, it was just garbage matches here and there, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's because they didn't live through it, but Val Venus is undefeated at this moment and he is over huge. This is, I don't want to say like road warrior pop, but he, for a mid-card act, he is getting a tremendous response from the audience. Absolutely. And Val Venus is an interesting one because I think when they first brought him in, if you watch those first TV matches, this is the first time on pay-per-view. But he was kind of presented almost as a heel. It was almost like, how do you want to treat him? But the audience clung to him. And, you know, who wasn't going to cheer a male porn star in this era, especially when they made it out that, you know, he had been in movies with Jenna Jameson and all these people. And he was cool. So by the time he walks out on pay-per-view, everyone loves him. Hello, ladies is already over as a catchphrase. There's signs in the crowd. People say it with him. Uh, and of course, his sexual innuendo gets a nice pop where he Huge says, pop. you know, he's always wanted to say this. And, you know, uh, was this California? Here I come. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and this is the part where when you put your 2022 eyes on, you just don't know how this worked. <laughs> but uh, but like, so he's, because he, he goes and does the promo, it's like, I've always wanted to do this. And he's about to, you know, expose himself to the cheers of the audience. Oh, and yeah. Jeff Jarrett interrupts and gets booed. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to see it. Like, yeah, it's so weird that they could make this guy a face in this era. And also, again, like, I feel like in this era, we're going to really talk about our experiences as kids. Mm. But Val Venus was so over for my year, you know, like year in primary school. In mm. 1998, we were saying like, hello, lady. Hello, lady. To the girls yeah. at lunchtime. And anytime someone had a towel, and I swear, I reckon still to this day, like I've got certain friends, you'd put a towel on and it's Velvetus mm-hmm. and, you know, you'll whip it off like he does. Yeah. Do the cool spin. Like, yeah. Yeah. The amount of people, you know, that would like say like their, their different names. Like I had a, I had a friend in uh, high school at the time called Caleb and he'd be the big Kalboski oh, uh, yes. and things like that. Like Val Venus was huge back then. And, and the funny thing too, I don't know about you, but like we, we talk about this a fair bit when we, um, when we watch these attitude era pay views, but you can see all of the, like all of his taunts and stuff like that. Took him back to playing WWF attitude and Warzone. hundred oh, <laughs> percent. It's just, it unlocks such a piece of your mind, but look, Kai and Ty comes out, but they get sent to the back. But uh, Mr. Yamaguchi's son, uh, then goes on commentary and Jerry Lawler throughout the entire match just keeps asking Yamaguchi son about his wife. And I remember seeing that because the whole thing was like um, Val Venus had, you know, used Mrs. Yamaguchi, uh, Mrs. Yamaguchi in a video and it was played on raw. Mm. And that's the, that's how he got his face hit. Like, Oh, like <laughs> take that Mr. Yamaguchi son. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but this is the thing, like this match is not a bad match, but the commentary is just degrading Mr. Yamaguchi-san. Oh, well, too bad. That was part of the story. I got to <laughs> yeah. say though, like, and I know like we are only one month away from getting rid of this version of Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Next month, he changes everything and becomes the, you know, the slap nuts version of Jeff Jarrett we all know and yep. love. But in terms of wrestling, you know, we always say Jeff Jarrett is underrated. He's very good. Him and Val Venus have a very good match here. Like yep. straight up, nice wrestling, back and forth, technical stuff. They hit power bombs and suplexes and the crowd's with it the whole time. Uh, yeah, and I it, think it's, it's amazing. this is really like this era, now that we've lost the Hart Foundation and Shawn Michaels and like those guys, it, we went through a few months with a kind of an iffy mid-card. Here, though, is where it all clicks, and that's something the Attitude Era was known for, a strong mid-card, and you've got it now with Jeff Jarrett, Val Venus, and the two guys in the next match, which we'll get to. But Yamaguchi on commentary, like you said, is he's pretty bad. He's not great. What was interesting, though, I did some research because I wanted to see what he was up to. He hasn't been up to much. He passed away a few years ago. But Mm. his brother, Shun Yamaguchi, is the Japanese commentator for the WWE. Oh, get so out. <laughs> he must have all the commentary skills. His brother clearly did not. Yeah. It's like, it's it's the Japanese version of uh, uh, Dr. Tom and Bruce Pritchett. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> wow. Um, so, look, it's as you said, Simon, it's not a bad opener at all. Uh, there is a lot of emphasis on Yamaguchi-san's uh, feud with Val. Post-match, uh, Val Venus gets the win. He's still undefeated. And post-match, he cuts a promo on Mr. Yamaguchi-san about having a uh, having small genitalia. <sighs> to 
to, to, to a huge pop, I should point out. I will say we know where this is going. Mm. Choppy, choppy is all <laughs> I'll say. But that's like the only black mark on the early year of Valvinus. That would have derailed anyone, I reckon, yeah, I know. that angle. But it, they brush past it and just move on real quick. What was hilarious in the following night's episode of Raw, there's all this innuendo of like, you know, um, like giant bits of sausages get <laughs> chopped and things like that. Like it's fully, it's full Benny Hill style. Yeah. And I believe that's where Taka does his heel turn and joins Kai and Ty, isn't it? He does. And then, um, oh, what's his name? John Wayne Babbitt or whatever. He's Bobbitt, the, John Wayne Bobbitt. Bobbitt yes. He's the guy who right. saves Malvinus when oh. the lights black out and save him from the same fate that he suffered at the hands of his wife. What a weird time anyway. It, it's it's a it's a different era than night of the late nineties, but um uh, we then cross uh, do a live cross to the to the heart the like Stu Hart's house house the heart mansion. There's really not much to say about that. Mm. Uh, it's it's just going to be a setting for the dungeon match, which is going to happen later on. Um, but then we move on to our next match, which is D'Lo Brown versus X Park. D'Lo is the new European champion after the Rock helped him get the belt off Triple H. Um, Godfather comes out with him, and Godfather is 100% Godfather, not... It's Carmen Mustafa. They call him the Godfather. It's just, he's straight Godfather here. Yep. It's all coming together for the mid-card, you know, the iconic Attitude Era mid-card. We've got the Godfather. Mm -hmm. We've got not just D'Lo Brown, but European champion D'Lo Brown with the chest protector. So, you know, it's all good from here. And of course, wrestling X-Puck, another, maybe the most underrated guy somehow, who was just fantastic. Hell yeah. And the thing that uh, that I found really funny, um, and not someone not, not funny person, not funny haha, but like it's one of those things you're like, oh, I know what you're doing here, JR. JR emphasizes how young these guys are, 26 and 27. Also, I love how JR mentions that uh, D'Lo Brown's a, a CPA. Like, oh, man. and this he man's men- an accountant. He mentions it <laughs> a lot through the whole match. I do want to say that I made note of JR mentioning their age as well. Not only is it a contrast to what's happening in WCW. 26 and 27 to be on tv on raw and on pay-per-views go through the raw roster now there is barely any male wrestler who's that age there's austin theory everyone else is in their 30s so the attitude era was a really interesting time you had these young guys who were you know getting a real break and you even look at like just wrestling in general most of the guys on top are in their 40s that were classed as dinosaurs and old like a lot of the, a lot of the WWE main events that were that were portrayed as being senior citizens are actually younger than like you know Kenny Omega and, and Brian Danielson yeah, yeah. CM Punk um, wheelchair wrestling you know yeah yeah like AJ Styles Randy Orton Edge all of these guys it's, it's all elderly all elderly wrestling is what AEW would be if it existed <laughs> in 1998 that's, oh it's fantastic um look uh, JR also brings up that um X-Park had a broken neck which is obviously um one like JR was fantastic in like referencing WCW, like, you know, their careers in WCW or anywhere outside of WWE and not specifically mentioning the company. Like it was very much a, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about here, guys. Yeah. And it made the whole thing feel real. Like wrestling feels like one linear story. Vince McMahon wouldn't do that back when he was on commentary. None of the older guys would, but JR made it like he didn't insult your intelligence. It was this guy obviously existed somewhere else. Um, D'Lo does one of those Kurt Angle 
Cody Rhodes style moonsaults to nowhere as well, which turns the tide in the match. But it's a very back and forth one. Godfather makes his um, appearance felt with an assist to D'Lo. And um, what have I put down here? As as someone, oh, I've no idea what I've written down here. But he, ha- he has the ref distracted. Then you get a sky high on, uh, a sky high on X Park and D'Lo gets the win. The sky high is one of the most underrated moves. And I don't think anyone does it still. Oh, it's a great move. The fact that D'Lo had so many signature moves, very cool. Uh, the sky high and the low down. I think Angelo Dawkins uses the sky ah, high now. There you go. Hmm. Uh, shades of D'Lo Brown. No one calls <laughs> that on commentary. Um, this was a really good match. I wish it was longer though. It felt like it yeah. was cut a little short. But again, another you know piece of that uh, mid card coming together. And as the match ends, we get a shot in the crowd of another guy who would become a great mid-carder and then a great main eventer. We see Edge on pay-per-view for the first time. Yeah. Um, the notes that I've written down is Edge is there, full stop. That's basically it. It's just it. That's all he we did don't have for the... a while. He was just there. Yeah. yeah, we don't have the vignettes of him running. He's just there. Um, we get to our WWF.com cutaway and Kevin Kelly's there with Dr. Tom to let us know that The Undertaker hasn't arrived yet. And I know we... You said it before when we were talking about the video packages that WWE is just running away with it now, but even their online presence seems better than WCW's. And WCW did it first. Well, WWE turned it into a whole production by this point. There was a stage and a nice desk and the audio was clear. Like they were part of the show while Hmm. being on the internet. It looked good. Uh, We did mention Tom Pritchard, not... As good on the mic as his brother, Bruce. Uh, credit to him for being an amazing wrestler and trainer by all accounts, you know, helped train The Rock and Kurt Angle exactly. and Shane McMahon and everyone else. But on the mic, he isn't Bruce. Awful stuff. And why was he keep going on about like The Undertaker doesn't want to let anyone down. He <laughs> yeah. won't let anyone down. It's like, yeah. what are you talking about, bro? Yeah, everyone loves him in the locker room. Undertaker would never let the locker room down. Like that's not his character <laughs> on TV. Anyway. <laughs> It is so crazy. Uh, we'll get to our next match here. Scorpio and Farouk versus uh, Terry Funk and Bradshaw. JR points out that uh, Funk and Farouk teamed up on Shotgun Saturday night and they're undefeated. Pre-match, Terry Funk says that he wants to take six months off, which Bradshaw is not too happy about. But um, there is we, we get straight into the match and it's actually a weird combination seeing Farouk not in nation gear. <laughs> Yeah, he's in like some weird palette swapped version of the nation, but it's not. You've got Scorpio who isn't Flash Funk anymore. You've got Terry. And he's not too, and he's not too cold Scorpio as well. So oh, it's he's weird. just Scorpio. Yeah, he's yeah. not too cold and he's not Flash. <laughs> it's just Scorpio. It's weird seeing Bradshaw and Farouk in this weird spot here on the card where it could have gone either way. Farouk mm. didn't work out in the nation. Bradshaw's not really clicking in the different gimmicks they've given him. They could have easily released both of these guys. Boy, do they get lucky getting teamed up and becoming the Acolytes, which happens soon, and they put it together. Because I guarantee you there are dirt sheets from this era where they're like, it's probably time to cut bait with this Bradshaw guy, and Farouk's (laughs) not working out in the WWE. Anyway, we're close. This match, though, sucked. I will say that. I was trying to find positives. This almost tanked the show look i've got uh, two positives that i've written down here uh an impressive hurricane runner on bradshaw by two cold scorpio uh and the line 
Terry Funk, young at heart, but old in other places by Jerry Lawler, <laughs> yeah, which good. was a really good line. Um, Actually, but you're right. I want to mm. mention one thing that was interesting about how bad the match was. The crowd starts a boring chant. Boring chant. And they acknowledge it. They acknowledge it instead of yeah. saying, oh, they're chanting Corey or whatever, like instead yeah. of boring. Or, no. or just like, you know, we love the WWE universe. They can express themselves any way you want. But no, they are. Yeah, he acknowledges that the crowd's like turning boring. And do you reckon they got the go home? Because Scorpio ends it pretty abruptly. Real quick, he hits a 4 450. And Lawler <laughs> even says, he's like, oh, I wonder if they thought that was boring too. Like they just, yeah, <laughs> you couldn't hide it. Um, Post match, Bradshaw then takes out Terry Funk and also takes out two Cole Scorpio as well with a hell of a lariat and then gives Farouk a chair shot. So uh, once again, uh, Talk about like no man's land. Bradshaw is just floating at the moment. That acolytes um, formation can't come any quicker, can it? Yeah, we're still a few months away though. I'm wondering what they do from now till then. I cannot remember, but hopefully it's not on pay per view. And yeah, yeah, because the thing is, like, the ministry doesn't form to like '99, so <laughs> yeah, because Taker <laughs> still has the Brothers of Destruction stuff to go, and yeah, we're a while away. Oh, geez. Spoiler alert. It works out all right for them. Uh, let's just put it out there. Um, we get quickly back to the commentary box and Jerry the King Lawler is just going on about stable still. One thing I do want to point out is every time they go back to the commentary team, it never stops down. Like you compare it to WCW and it really like puts a buzzkill on them and just halts the momentum because I think they linger too long. Whereas JR and King are so good together and they bounce off each other so well. And they drive it forward for some reason. I can't think why. I think in WCW, we're starting to see it even more. But there's a real, like, I know JR and King are famous for sort of bickering or whatever. But when it's time to do these, yeah, they don't really stop the momentum. They keep it moving. With Mm. WCW, it feels like Tony and Brain especially are just trying to derail each other. And not in a fun way. Each guy just wants to make a point. And when Heenan does, Tony always has to like then correct him or whatever. It's like, just move on. Yeah. 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 Cause it is that awkward. Like they, they don't turn into broadcast. So they just turn into like two people bickering on a park bench. Yeah. Whereas you still feel part of the production with uh, the WWE one. We get to our next match, which is Vader versus Mark Henry. JR is doing a major push here to watch Shotgun Saturday night because um, this match can only be described as Big E would say. Big meaty men slapping meat. It is a hoss fest, isn't it? Yeah, this is just two big guys going at it. And again, we were surprised when we realized how over Vader was as a face in the WWE. He gets another great reaction here with the crowd chanting Vader. Like, was it a mistake to bring him in as a heel in 96? (laughs) Feels like the crowd just wanted to cheer him. It's weird. I I feel like that too. Or do you reckon they just bought him as a heel because he was WCW? It was just like, oh, boo, you were down south, you jerk. Yeah, and they (laughs) went with that. Even though, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like face Vader. We didn't see much of it in his career, but yeah, it's fun. What we've also learned too is like Vader is actually like, you know, he's still got the goods. Like... We all remember for the for the infamous I'm a big fat piece of crap kind of promo that he did, but no, this was actually it's short but sweet. As are most of these matches, um, like literally, they a lot of them are just under ten minutes too, aren't they? Like we haven't get cracked a a big match yet. No, we will. This one wasn't one of them. They hit some nice slams on each other. There's oh, a yeah, slight yeah. fumble when Mark Henry goes for a slam, but he then corrects it. 
and hits Vader with a, a body slam, and it's pretty impressive. And the See, crowd's I, kind of yeah. into it. Yeah, that, well, the thing is, like, with that botch, like, yes, it is a botch, but, like, it's kind of like, if we're looking into the realism of wrestling, it makes sense because Mark Henry's a big dude, not agile. Vader's a big dude. Of course, he'd struggle to pick up Vader. Like, it's just yeah. one of those things. It mm. almost makes more sense to stumble than to pick him up, you know, perfectly. Yeah, it's it's like how if you were playing WWF No Mercy and you're playing as uh, Scotty Too Hotty and you're trying to pick up Andre the Giant. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, does a little animation. Yeah, and then holds his back afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mark Henry gets the win. Uh, there's a big, big push for the nation here, which is kind of cool. Um, we then get to our next little uh, segment, which is a Stu Hart's house cutaway. And then it throws back to WWF.com. Kevin Kelly, still concerned about The Undertaker not being here. And Dr. Tom, once again, going on about how Taker doesn't let anyone down in the locker room. At this point in time, Dr. Tom is a non-playable character in uh, GTA because he's not <laughs> saying anything new. He repeats himself about 10 times in this one little segment. I think it's almost like they were like, hey, Tom, do you want more notes on what to say for this segment? He was like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got to take a will show up. And then he just blanked out and literally couldn't think of anything else and just, yeah, repeated the same words. It reminded me of like in any radio heads that are listening out there um, that have worked in radio that have ever done one of those outside broadcasts at a Harvey Norman when you ask, how much time do I have left in this last break? Do you want to put a song in there? No, no, I could feel it. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and you immediately got, ah, I should have put a song. Even oh, yeah. Blur's song too would have really helped me right now. Um, Great sale. Then- Make sure you get down here. The sale is until Sunday. And then you're like, oh yep. shit, better say it yep. again. That's right, Sunday, which is the day after tomorrow. Come down and see Keith and Jenny and Steve. <laughs> Sales in the electronic department, bedding, outdoor furniture. They got it all here. I might even come down myself. Take it, eh? Now, speaking of promos, Kane and Mankind are out next with Paul Bearer. And Paul Bearer cuts a promo on Taker and Austin. This was kind of cool because it sort of started off another feud when the New Age Outlaws come out to challenge Kane and Mankind to a match on Raw. There's a lot of forward selling to Raw, which is something that we don't see too much these days. Like not in any company where they sort of forward sell to, you got to watch tomorrow night or watch Wednesday night. No one does that anymore, do they? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, in this era, you've paid your money to watch the pay-per-view not the other way around. I know things are kind of more even now with streaming and networks and whatever. Mm. It is weird to see them do this. It's like, I've paid for this pay-per-view. Why are you selling me on the free TV show? Either way though, pretty fun segment. It's weird that they do promos on the pay-per-views here. They stop doing it after a while. But the Outlaws get a massive pop. Huge. They are killing it here. Road Dog, I forgot that he used to call Austin the cold one. (laughs) (laughs) And also, JR calls Billy Gunn. Maybe it was a mistake, but it sounded cool. He called him Billy Badass, which I thought was kind of cool. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, they have a fun brawl at the end too, and the crowd just goes crazy. 100%. And so much that JR loses his mind. We've got a major problem out here. There is a major problem out here. <laughs> it's so good. Um, we then throw back to the commentary team. Uh, JR, as I said, the JR and King cutaways don't seem to stop down momentum at all. Uh, we get to our next little segment, which is a recap of Monday Night Raw, but it's a quick recap where it shows the return of Paul Ellering. Uh, Paul Ellering in DOA, take out Animal. Um, Hawk runs out. Hawk takes a while to save Animal because that is the story where we're in that 
period of time where they play into the real life demons of Hawk, which, you know, it's one of those blotches of the attitude era. Cause there was, and there's a fair few, let's be honest, mm. but um, <laughs> it's weird seeing Paul Ellering going to run over animal with a motorbike. Yeah. That was his big threat. He was going to destroy his leg with a motorbike. Also, Paul Ellering's like kind of gimmick at this time, you can see it on his jacket, was Mr.com. I've written that down. I've I said, what you, uh, I've said, well, the first note I've got is no sunny, but what the hell is Paul Ellering wearing? Mr.com is what's written on the back of his jacket. Is there like a big eye as well, like Sauron? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And the only <laughs> thing I could find, there was a lot of questions as to what the gimmick was. I think it was just him going into, you know, like the whole dot-com boom at the time. Right. Because early in uh, the LOD's career, Paul Allering's gimmick, he would always carry the Wall Street Journal because he right. was smart oh. and he invested his money. So this was a modernized version of that, which is kind of cool. Paul Allering always put in, uh, you know, effort into his gimmicks, except yeah. Rocco the Dummy. That was stupid. <laughs> but Mr. Dot-com <laughs> made sense in 98. If you're wondering what Mr.com seemed like, just picture what Elon Musk is like now and you've basically <laughs> got Mr.com. That's, kind of, uh, that's true. Now, the thing is, like, LOD is still majorly over here. And, um, yeah, it, it's... it's it's the, the story is, like we said, Hawks in the downward spiral storyline here. But um, all i got to mention is there's still LOD 2000 despite no sunny. But how futuristic did we picture the year 2000? Because they full on come out looking like guys from Tron. I know. They've got the Tron like football helmets on that have been done <laughs> up to look like robots. Their music is more futuristic. Like it's like mm. a futuristic electronic remix. It's all silly. Um, they're still over. DOA is still terrible. Oh, so it's awful. a hard match to watch because two of the people are not good. And also, Sunny is gone because she yep. was released this month for, uh, I don't know, no showing shows is all mm. I could find. Yeah, she would then later show up in ECW um, with Chris Candido, just as Tammy Lynn's search. And then again, is about the dying days of, um, of uh, WCW with mm -hmm. Chris Candido as well. Um, Hawk, as I said, is very much just a punching bag here. There is a hot tag to Animal. And a tremendous shoulder block, uh, which is called by Jim Ross. There's a doomsday device, which isn't called the doomsday device. Did they change the name of that or did JR just do a flub? I think we we questioned this at WrestleMania 14. They called it the devastation, devastation device. device. I think they were trying to, you know. Update it. Spice it up for the year 2000. <laughs> um, now, doomsday device gets a two count, then twin magic. And a DDT gets the win. And I've written down, I've no idea which Harris brother got the pin. The Nazi one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's still not, that's still not <laughs> uh, making it any clearer. I the don't know if it's true. I read somewhere that they're actually half brothers with chains. Brian. Lee. Oh, really? Yeah. Man. I didn't bother looking into it because I don't care that much. But I Yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly the Anoe family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pretend it is the bloodline mm. anyway. Yeah. So as LOD go back um, to the entranceway, we see Vince McMahon come out uh, with his little entourage of uh, the Stooges and um, Sergeant Slaughter. There's no music for Vince. Mm. Um, no chance in hell doesn't exist yet. And the thing that I noticed too, did you notice that the stage setup looks like the house show arena in WWF Attitude? 
It does because there's just a sheet that says WWF attitude on it. It, it, Look, it's a bear setup. I don't know. Part of me kind of likes it in a way. Mm. I love when they went to the real over the top theme sets, but I also like the stripped down attitude era. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, You know, like it peaked at the backlash hooks. Uh, let's let's not forget. Actually, no, no. I'll tell a lie. Judgment Day had a pretty good one, with with, with the crosses and the big uh, circle titan drawn. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good too. And I, and I cannot wait till we get to King of the Ring two thousand and one, where they have the electric chair. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, will we cover King of the Ring two thousand and one? Because WCW's dead by then. <laughs> well, it'll become a new show, <laughs> the yeah. Invasion or something. We'll just keep it going. We'll keep going. Yeah. Um. Now Vince is. Uh, he's on fire in this segment. It is so good because he he does that. He's still doing that, not a characteristic, you know, oh, I'm Vince McMahon, damn it. He's still the, I'm a concerned promoter and I'm looking after you, the fans. Yeah, it was, it was such a great performance in this era. This was a promo that I remembered. Once he started, I was like, oh, this is that one where mm. his whole point is that, sure, Undertaker's not here, but as a promoter, hey, Cards subject to change, and me yep. as the promoter, I can choose a suitable replacement. And this man, you know, can live up to the Undertaker, and he can team with Stone Cold, and he brings out the Brooklyn Brawler. And wow, people hate him so much. It's so good though, because JR, not JR, sorry, um, Jerry the King Lawler, then like fully steers into like, oh, that's a great substitute for the year for the he Undertaker. Drinks, he fights. He's just like Steve Austin. That's the point King makes. It's good, very good. My other favorite thing is um, how in the entire promo, Vince is all like, now remember, if, if Undertaker isn't here, it's not my fault. It's <laughs> yeah. Steve Austin's it's fault. <laughs> it's so good. It's great. Um, our next match is live from the dungeon. It is a dungeon match live from the heart residence. It's, this is actually a bit of fun. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's almost like... In the same vein, the boiler room brawl kind of deal. It's Owen Hart versus Ken Shamrock. And it's a great match for what it is. Absolutely. Like, I think, you know, this show started strong with two really good mid-card matches. And then things got iffy for a while there. I think the pay-per-view really picks up here and it ends very strong. This match is very fun and original and different. Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock in the dungeon this doesn't look like anything else you would see at the time. It looks real. They've got the technical skill to pull it off. They're doing MMA stuff. You've got Dan Seven as the referee. And they yeah. use the environment. It's like, you know, in a video game where there's the oh. interactive environments. You know, it's like, now I'll hit you into the wall. Now I'll put your head through the ceiling. Now I'll grab onto the pipe on the ceiling. Like, yeah, so fun. Very cool. And. And it's a super hard-hitting match, too, because there is a bit where... So where Ken Shamrock grabs the pipe on the ceiling and does, like, a leg choke mm. on Owen, Owen then reverses it with a power bomb onto the mats. And they're just, like, gym mats. So it, it, Owen then gets the win by knocking out uh, Ken Shamrock with a dumbbell. Well, dumbbell. And then uses... Well, Ken Shamrock kicks uh, Dan Seven in the head. Then it leads to the dumbbell. And then Owen does the thing where he gets the... Um, he makes... Ken Shamrock tap out by putting him in like a, a cross face and then getting his other hand and making him tap, which then Dan Seven sees and goes, oh, well, there's the winner there, which I thought was a really creative finish. Yeah, creative finish, very fun match. It's not very long because I think that would have 
then made it unrealistic. I think it's the yep. perfect length of time for what it was. It's very fun. Ken Shamrock is still killing it. Owen Hart was awesome here. And this leads to something even cooler next month at SummerSlam. Like, I almost forgot this feud was coming up, but it's only two pay-per-views. But uh, yeah, next month, next month at SummerSlam, you know, we saw Owen Hart's specialty at SummerSlam. Yep. We see Ken Shamrock's and it's very cool. Yeah, the Lions Den match. Can't wait to cover that one. And also, uh, shout out to Ken Shamrock because he's actually got, uh, it was revealed at San Diego Comic-Con, he's got his first WWE Mattel figure. Oh, no way. It's very cool. And it's the classic, um, it's the classic, uh, the blue tights, which is fantastic. That's pretty give you a little- cool. Oh, wow. With the intercontinental title as well. Yeah, the, the classic one too. So, uh, so yeah, it's great to see uh, Ken Shamrock get a bit of respect. I think I think uh, what's old is new again when it comes to figures. Mm. So that's very, very cool. Um, we get to our next match, which is Triple H versus The Rock. Um, it's a two out of three falls match. And you are 100% spot on when you said that this is where the, the pay-per-view kicks into next gear because we get a nice little... It's a bit of a palate cleanse of that dungeon match, but we are going all in on wrestling when it comes to uh, this match. And this one, you you can almost see, like, I reckon whoever watched this match, uh, or at least when they put The Rock and Triple H in this feud, you can just see the WWE going, this is going to, this is going to really, really, we're going to milk this for the next couple of years. This is our money feud. <laughs> oh yeah. We'd, we'd see it with these guys so many times over the years. We saw it earlier in 97, uh, you know, when it was Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Rocky Maivia for the Intercontinental title. Both men have grown up. Now it's two out of three falls, 30-minute time limit. They've both got established characters with established factions that they're leading. What a difference a year has made for these guys. And what a match for them to be in this position and say, okay, this is the wrestling match. They put together an excellent three falls because each one is different to the other. The first one is slow. The second one has more excitement and cheating. And then the third one is just attitude era chaos. This match, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. Part of me was like worried this was going to be boring because I had had a feeling it was going to go to the time limit, which Mm -hmm. it does, but it's not. It's very entertaining. There's enough moving parts to to keep your sort of interest uh, throughout. They go through the greatest hits too because Rock does his old, I've had enough, I'm leaving shtick and, you know, goes to the back, but Triple H brings him back. Uh, We get interference from the nation. We also get interference from DX. Everyone gets involved, but it is a long time before there's a fall. Like it, it, it takes, I reckon. Yeah. Cause the last couple of falls are in quick succession, but it's, it's just a great match. They spill to the outside. China's, uh, at ringside, despite the fact that the Nation DX are both sent to the back. It's a very, very back and forth match. And it is, the fans are rabid for their hatred of uh, The Rock and also for their love of Triple H. And it's funny too, because do you remember when Triple H turned, turned heel at um, WrestleMania 15? Everyone's like, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, he's a great baby face. Mm. You forget how good of a baby face he was. Yeah, it only goes for a year, his original babyface run from basically WrestleMania 14 to 15. But everyone would have thought, like we did at the time, that that was his calling. It was like, oh, they finally turned him face and look at how good he is as it. We all thought he was going to be, you know, main event Triple H, that version of him. (laughs) He proved us wrong. Uh, Great match, though. 
And I love the story of it because I'm thinking about it now and just remembering watching it last night and how fun it was where Mm. this match wasn't just about the feud between the two of them. It was between the two factions and control of the IC title. So each time one team would interfere, the other one would like cut them off or stop it or whatever. And it just kept building and building. What a great way to elevate, you know, what, 10 people all at once, basically. And you talk about like how they intertwine the faction feuds because D'Lo Brown comes out with the European title, which he won off Triple H, thanks for Rock's help. So, and this is what leads to the first fall. So D'Lo comes out, he goes to do a move off the top rope, but he gets absolutely clobbered by Triple H who gives him a belt shot with the Euro title that he held. That leads to the Rock getting, um, getting the first fall. Also, I wanted to point out too, the catapult is such a stupid move, but I love it. I don't know why. I just, it, it's, it does the, it's the same wrestling physics as bouncing off the ropes, yeah. but it's just so good. It's just one of those moves. Triple H um, loves taking a catapult though. Like he's done it forever. He loves it. <laughs> he, he launches. That's so good there. Um, yeah. So we have that, as you mentioned too. X-Pac then gets an X-Factor on The Rock, which only gets a two count and the crowd loses their mind. Well, I want to say there that not only did he kick out of the X-Factor, but earlier in the match, Triple H kicks out of a belt shot as well. That's a near fall. This might be one of the early matches of the Attitude Era where they're like, no, we're kicking out of everything now because these are two of the guys who would really (laughs) push that to its limit. you know, the following year where they would do each other's finishes and everything. But yeah, no one was expecting that at the time. So they buy every single near fall in this match. All I will say is the Rock's chair shots are absolutely vicious in 1998. He's, yeah, don't let him hit you with a chair. He's Barry Bond swinging for the fences here. Um, China does a low blow and a DDT on the chair, and um, which is quite hilarious because... There's no referee when Triple H goes for the second fall. Um, is it the second fall or the? Yeah, I think it's the second fall. Where yeah, Hebner then the, runs out. The second fall, yeah. Hmm. Uh, which is quite funny because Hebner comes out to count, but uh, it's just so funny because JR does the count like one, two, three, four, five, and it's just it's a really cool little thing there. As you mentioned, it gets very attitude era at the end. It's false finishes a go go, and the clock runs out, and the match is done. The Rock retains. This is so far the match of the night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the ending is great. It's your typical time limit ending because they really have it at home. They said, yes, it's for the Intercontinental title. Yes, it's two out of three falls, but we've got to obey our TV time limits. It's 30 minutes. (laughs) And the last two minutes, 30, especially because I made note of it when they mentioned it, just is chaos. It's just nonstop moves and, you know, everything happening outside. They end it with the pedigree and then the crowd is going wild. Triple H, you know, goes for the pin. Instead of doing the old, oh, one, two, oh no, the buzzer went. Earl Hebner doesn't even make the count. He waves yep. it off and he tells Triple H, nah, nah, the time ran out. It's too late. <laughs> it's, it's really it's... heartbreaking that way. I thought it was excellent. And then it brought, you know, there's a brawl with DX and the nation. And yeah, there you go. All these guys are becoming huge stars now. So cool. Um, we get to another WWF comp piece uh, where Undertaker enters the arena and we also see a PC, a desktop PC there with Windows 95, which really popped me. But this is this is another thing that that like WWE did so much better than WCW with their online presence. They made it part of the show as opposed to just having, you know, a wrestler sitting behind a desk. It was 
it was woven throughout the, the well, storyline. And think about hmm. years later as well, when we we would every time WWE does something new with technology, we all say, "Ooh, this is stupid. You're wrecking the show." But no, they just right. turn it into it. Remember when they first mentioned what was trending? The yep. hatred that got. Oh, Ooh, yes. shut up! We don't care what's trending. Ooh, stop yeah. showing the hashtag on the screen. WWE did it before most sports and TV shows. And now when it happens, whether it's Raw, SmackDown, or any TV show you're watching, you don't even think twice about it. So we yeah. got to give them credit for, for new technology. Yeah. Uh, we, and it just just for balance, we also got to mention that they really missed the mark and uh, bought into tout when it was never going to oh, yeah, be a thing. <laughs> they even literally bought into it and invested money into it. <laughs> um, there's a little um, exclusive footage I'm guessing is a home video exclusive of The Rock cutting a promo as he's leaving the arena. So that pretty much sums up that. Great promo. Mm. The Rock's really finding his... Uh, and D'Lo Brown in the background is just great. <laughs> I kind of miss The Rock with the nation. Like, it really was fun. I wish it went longer into his main run with D'Lo especially, who was, yeah, oh. a great stooge. Um, we then get a hell of a promo video uh, for the uh, what have I written down here? Oh yeah, for the for the um, the bikini contest. Uh, it, it's it's almost Undertaker versus Kane like levels of <laughs> effort that they've got into doing this. Well, Sable wears black and Jackie wears red, so it is Kane and Undertaker of the, the women's division. Uh, there's a tale of the tape, which is pretty self-explanatory, and JR reads it with the utmost professionalism, I've got to say. <laughs> He's definitely not thirsty JR on Twitter like he used to I wish we had that JR in this era. <laughs> um, then we get a weird little bit with Dustin Rhodes. What is, I did not even remember that. Yeah, this is the uh, evangelist Dustin Rhodes after Goldust, where he would, and I think it was a... Oh, it would have been here where he starts carrying around a sign and whatever F you, you know, right. or forever unchained. And then oh. he event he becomes gold dust again anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to, the promo package though is hilarious. It's essentially one promo where the audio is taken from and it's mm. Jackie and Sable trading insults. The <laughs> insults sound so scripted and canned. But everything they're saying, I guarantee you Vince Russo took from an episode of Jerry Springer. <laughs> it is 100% Jerry Springer dialogue that they stole here. And it is hilarious. It is. It, it's one of those. It's another. It's a sign of the times. Because um, mm -hmm. we get to the bikini contest. I can't believe we're actually saying this. But um, yeah, Jacqueline is out with Mark Mero. Um, <laughs> and I've written down here. I bet King is shoot having the time of his life right now. Oh, the fact that they let King be the MC here. Like that that was basically his Christmas bonus for the year. Mm. I've written down here too. Sable doesn't have a bikini and this promo from Sable is weird considering what we know now about Vince McMahon. This hasn't aged well. <laughs> no, no, it really hasn't. <laughs> so I wanted to say though, like the fact that these characters were over as heels and faces is interesting. Because Jackie is basically wearing nothing and she looks fantastic. She mm. even flashes herself at one point, yep. which they pixelate. Anyway, mm. because she's with Mark Merrow and, you know, the bad guy compared to Sable, the crowd boos her. Yep. <laughs> what? Like, what are you booing? <laughs> Boo, it's we don't also, like your outfit. It's strange. It, it, 
It's also weird watching uh, a lady in a bikini gyrate to Mark Merrow's theme song. <laughs> I know. The fact that that was the song they played while she's twerking or whatever. It's just, yeah. Even it's she, so- there's a look on her face at one point. It was like, mm, this song sucks. So Sable then, um, as she takes off her, her top, she's wearing like a just a modest crop top thingy underneath. And she's like, oh, Vince McMahon said that, you know, uh, that, you know, it's all about common decency and bloody, bloody, blah. And then she takes off that top and she's got the famous painted on um, hand prints that are on her, on her breasts, mm-hmm. which King loses his mind. Mark Murrow loses his mind. And then our old patron saint of, uh, of everything that is good and holy, Vince McMahon, comes out with, with his jacket to cover up that hussy. Yes, he, he's all on the up and up when it comes to treating women right. Uh, the crowd goes <laughs> so crazy, though, when she does it. And rightfully so. Why would you ever expect this would happen on a WWE pay-per-view? Um, great moment. Like I said, burnt into the memory of every kid who every. somehow watched this show. Uh, the other iconic moment, aside from Sable's handprints, Jerry Lawler's reaction Oh yes, was the, the other thing that was burnt <laughs> into my mind, where he has a shock face, he puts his hands out, and he does like this bunny hop sideways, yeah. like a cartoon <laughs> scampering away. Mm. Amazing. I don't know if he thought of that. It's like, you know, a, just something he had in, you know, the back pocket for the right time. But Jerry Lawler, and especially when they show it in slow motion, combined with her reveal, that's an iconic Attitude yep. Era moment and shot. To the point that that shot is actually used when they did that Kid Rock WWE Desire uh, package. <laughs> That's actually used in there when they talk about the Attitude Era. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, oh, but yeah, the best way I can describe King's thing is like, you remember when Roadrunner used to like make fun of the coyote and then leave? Like how he'd spin, he'd, oh, yeah. he'd hover in, like he somehow levitated in mid <laughs> yeah, it's, it's honestly very impressive like the <laughs> impressive things are sable's handprint and jerry lawless sideways reaction so post uh post bikini so sable wins the bikini and i i love that mark mara and jacqueline are a stickler for the rules because she wasn't wearing a bikini she not, shouldn't not have won no exactly yeah so then they go backstage and confront her, and all of a sudden, every single backroom staff <laughs> of the WWE are in Sable's uh, locker room. I thought that was great. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah we got to film a pull-apart brawl, and the agents were like, mm, another one. It's Sable and Jackie, and they're still in their outfits, and just everyone ran yeah. to the locker room. You see Dave Hebner and Tony Guerrero and just all these old guys. But I love how serious the agents are, and they're like, get out, Jackie, get out of this room. And Sable is literally right next to them with mm. her boobs out, with just the hands painted on still. <laughs> yeah. She hasn't put and, a shirt on. And, and Sergeant like, Slaughter's there too, yeah. doing his, like doing that same look that he gives Triple H and Shawn Michaels in 97. Yeah. Just like the principal who's disappointed. They're like, you leave this woman with her boobs out alone. It's just, <laughs> just weird. So let's get to uh, the, the main event, which is Kane and Mankind uh, versus Undertaker and Austin. They're the tag team partners using the old Vince Russo trope of, will they get along? Will they do this? Will they do that? But a um, couple of things I want to quickly mention. Taker, is this the first time that we hear his badass ministry theme? Definitely on pay-per-view. It's not the exact same one he would use in the ministry. It is that mm-hmm. song, just slightly different. I've always thought the ministry song, like basically this one, that's his yep. best song. Oh, it's 100%. So cool. Yeah. 
we got to remember too, like Undertaker was really finicky with themes. Like they, he debuted at one pay-per-view, but they'd always tweak it. Like remember <laughs> when he stopped using rolling and he had that other weird one, the dead man walking one. It was just uh, an instrumental for a while. Then they added the lyrics. And then they added more guitar. And all <laughs> yeah, the yeah, the it's, solo it's, and stuff. So Actually, so that's, ta- that's my other underrated Undertaker song. I know some people hate it. I love that one. The, oh, yeah. Oh. The dead man walking. It's it's iconic with the dead man walking. <laughs> yeah, you've done it now. It's just so cheesy. It's, it's good. so cheesy, but you know the taker is <laughs> loving life when he yeah. comes out to it. Yeah. Up, so look, the the fight starts outside. Um, it's a attitude era style brawl. I don't really have too many notes about this, but um, did you? I, I one thing that I noticed, and I'd love to get your opinion on this too. Do you feel that Undertaker is becoming less spiritual in this one because there's a part where he gives, um. Austin the bird and he's becoming less dead man and more you know a wrestler that happens to be the undertaker yeah this is an interesting era for the undertaker because we actually see him closer to the uh uh the american badass here on raw he would come out just dressed like a biker like biker Mm -hmm. taker and he would talk like he's a real person he would reference himself like being normal or whatever and you know have a go at vince mcmahon they were toying with the idea. It's interesting to think that he was going more real, but then he takes a complete left turn and turns into Ministry Undertaker, which is pretty much the most over-the-top uh, yeah. Undertaker. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's, a, it's a crazy one um, too, but a couple of things that I just had to write down, and that was like, do they have a name for old school or is it just just a move? Just school here. Um <laughs> I've got to say, this match, at first, I thought, yeah, this is fun, fun brawling on the outside and, you know, Attitude Era stuff. But I was thinking it didn't feel like a main event. It felt like, it's weird, a six-man tag can be a main event on a pay-per-view, but a tag team match, a little bit iffy. Anyway, as the match went along, It's a raw main event, isn't it? Yeah, it felt like that. But honestly, as it went along, it got better and better. I think the turning point, first off, it was a different time. So why is... Like, if you're wondering, why would Mick Foley be wrestling a month after Alan Cell? It's <laughs> yeah. because it was a different time. He's yeah. barely <laughs> conscious during this match at times. Like, it, it's rough. But anyway, yeah. at one point, he's on the apron on the commentary desk side. He's walking. And Austin runs at him in, like, an opposite direction, almost like Monty Brown's pounce. Mm. Austin pounces Mick Foley off the apron hip first into the announce table and he basically bends in half. The table doesn't break. Foley bends around the table. And we should point out too, it's not the table that's closest to him. He's made like, (laughs) it's the the Spanish announce table. Yeah, that's what I mean. He pounces him because he goes in the diagonal (laughs) direction or whatever. And literally two seconds later, he stands up and then takes a back body drop on the outside from the Undertaker. From then on, it's just, insanity but mick foley is just a maniac obviously another one too all big red machine kane is so underrated because kane's still wearing his king of the ring sort of gear where he doesn't have the arm exposed another thing to chair shots in 1998 (laughs) something else (laughs) austin absolutely wrecks kane with a chair shot and if you're wondering why kane believes some of the things he does in the modern era I think we can blame that chair shot for at least some of it. JR then, so Kane then kicks out from the chair shot. 
I don't think JR was expecting it because he doesn't even say an actual word. JR just makes a sound on the kick out. He just goes, and yeah. Anyway, yeah, it just gets out of control. It's it's crazy. The crowd is red hot and they go even more ballistic when Taker does the hot tab because the thing that oh, they're yeah. teasing is like, oh, can they coexist? And Austin goes to reach for a tag, but Taker's having absolutely no interest in it. Then he puts his hand out, gets the tag, and then enters to a massive pop. He cleans house. Does a tombstone? Oh, well, he, first he does choke slams a go go, then he does a tombstone on Kane for the win. And the cool thing is, mankind's about to break up the pin, and Austin almost trips over Taker to <laughs> try and fend off mankind. It is so chaotic. The the final stretch of this match is honestly worth going back and watching. It's one of those, you know, whatever. I'm sure Pat Patterson put it together in this era. The ending sequences were absolute brilliance. How do you put it together? So before the hot tag, Austin hits a running stunner. And I swear it's the only time he's done it. He bounces out of a a tombstone, runs off the ropes and runs at Kane to kick him in the gut and stun him. Then Undertaker's hot tag, like you said, is awesome. At one point though, when he hooks the choke slam on Kane, mankind is behind him. While he's choking Kane with his right hand, he low blows Mick Foley with his left foot <laughs> when he does both at once. And like you said, then Austin, you know, falls over to break up the pin. What an amazing. Like you, like you mentioned with King of the, uh, with, uh, with Mankind. Remember Undertaker's got a broken foot after King of the Ring as well. <laughs> well, that too. He kicked him with his broken foot. Um, and, and I so like crazy. the ending too, because the crowd is just going absolutely ballistic. But, Taker and Austin are now the tag team champions. And that's cliched now. Ooh, ooh, the, you know, number one contender and the champ hate each other, but they're tag champs. At the time, we had never seen this before. It was very cool. Yeah. What I liked as well, Undertaker grabs both belts and leaves with them, which I think was like a bit of an F you to Austin because you know Austin would have done the same. He did the same when he was partners with Shawn Michaels and McFoley. Yep. He mm-hmm. would try and take both belts. So, that was a nice touch building to their, you know, eventual match at SummerSlam. Just an all-round uh, great uh, main event there. And as you said, it built up because it did start off like, eh, it's a bit mm. Monday Night Royce, but it, it just ramped up so crazily. Now, let's let's just try and unpack this because there is a lot to sort of get through in this pay-per-view. But at the same time, not so much because it's it's the Attitude Era pay-per-views, they follow a formula, don't they? It, it just... And the crowd always leaves happy and Austin's always the last one you see kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, really. It was the modern version of, you know, Hogan must pose in the 80s. It's well, Austin has to end every show during this era. This is a tricky one, though, because the show had like some big highlights. Who would you say was the MVP for Fully Loaded? Weirdly, I can tell you he wasn't. And this is one of the weirdest pay-per-views of the Attitude Era because Austin is the biggest star on like on the planet right now. But he's he's not featured at all. If anything, this pay-per-view focuses more on building the nation than it does Austin. It's so it's so weird how this dynamic works because as you said, so many people get elevated because of this pay-per-view. Mark Henry, DX Val Venus, like mm. everyone that's like, there's no real, actually, no, I tell a lie. The the passengers here are Southern justice. Um, <laughs> we didn't even mention them. So the Godwins, yeah. 
are gone, kind of. They're now Southern Justice. They'll be gone soon enough, too. They'll be gone soon. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, there is really no one that wasn't, like, you know, there was no dead weight here. Even the LOD match served a purpose. Like, it was just hot, hot, hot matches all the way through. But I got to say, you got to be hard-pressed to to split between The Rock and Triple H here. I was thinking that too. The main event was a little bit different. It was very entertaining, but it wasn't really the main thing. If anything was going to stick with you, it was the fantastic two out of three falls, you know, a coming out party for Rock and Triple H, who would then top it at SummerSlam as well. Like we're really looking forward to that pay-per-view. But yeah, I want to say Triple H uh, and The Rock. I think you could almost flip a coin. Maybe Triple H. His first really great performance as a babyface uh, really got the crowd into it. Whatever, Triple H or The Rock, I think it's them. I think you, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely spot on there because it it's there's a playing card that separates them both at the moment. And and as we sort of said during when we talked about that match, this would be something that would fuel the Attitude Era right into its peak, especially when they lose Austin. All the two thousand is basically Rock versus Triple H, DX versus um rock and his allies like there is a great um and and the thing is too so many people get involved as a result like al snow is part of that feud later on mankind gets elevated val venus does. even the yeah even the british bulldog um, <laughs> He's tied into it as well um <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think that they would carry the show in two years time but even next year literally one year later they would wrestle again at fully loaded in another yep. gimmick match, the fully it's, loaded strap match. We'll get to that in a year. Yeah, it's it's such a weird little paper. And for a paper, like fully loaded, uh, really fell off the calendar. And it's one of those pay-per-views that just is forgotten completely. Hmm. I, I did like how there are little smidges of, of uh, them trying to incorporate fully loaded into um, into the promotion. Like, you know, oh, and they're fully loaded for a for an impact, you know, kind of thing. But it yeah, there wasn't work. much you could do, really. <laughs> but yeah, so definitely do yourself a favor. It's funny because when you do sort of like, when people talk about Attitude Era pay-per-views, yes, they always talk about over the edge. This one really gets overlooked. Yeah, I it's think It's overlooked so. greatly, yeah. Um, I think I've got this on VHS. This was one of the videos that when my video store closed down, they were just selling all the tapes. I think I nabbed a copy of this, you know, the cover with Triple H uh, doing the crotch chop. I think I've yeah. got it. <laughs> but yeah, do yourself a favor, track it down. It's also one of those rare ones where it's kind of, um, it's got the home video release on uh, mm. the WWE Network. So do yourself a favor and track that one down. Uh, next up for Reliving the War, it is Bash at the Beach 1998. Uh, I was going to say I can't wait for that, but this is where we see Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman team up with DDP and Carl Malone in another one of those weird celebrity matches. I can't even remember Bash of the Beach 1998, to be quite honest. I can only remember the main event because of retrospectives and watching it back a few years ago, that match specifically. I think it is one of the more iconic celebrity matches of all time, though. It was huge. The fact Mm. that Dennis Rodman was, you know leaving training with the bulls who are you know <laughs> world champions to just go and wrestle with the nwo and carl malone as well they were in the finals together it's just crazy that this even happened it's not like now where contracts would never allow you to oh, yeah. in the middle of the, the finals to go wrestle it, look 
we all talk about WCW kind of being on the downswing. This moment in 1998 for both promotions is crazy. SummerSlam 98 is one of the biggest pay-per-views ever. And Bash at the Beach 98 is one of the biggest pay-per-views for WCW. So it's a hot time in wrestling. I don't know what is on the rest of the card at all, but Same here. we've got a main yeah. event. I actually think Bash at the Beach 1998, I haven't seen at, at the time because it was one of those things where like, I'm pretty sure this was where I sort of started skipping WCW pay-per-views. I can tell you this. We never ordered them on pay-per-view. Uh, after mm-hmm. World War Three ninety seven was the giant letdown. But yeah. this is when my video store started to pick up WCW pay-per-views on video. We were so excited to finally watch another one. We, you know, we heard so much about Dennis mm. Rodman. We rented this video, me and my older brother, and I swear, I still remember this. Halfway through it, we both got up and went and played outside instead. We would never do that with wrestling. But I remember we were both so bored. So I'd love to try and hopefully something triggers my memory. And I'm like, this is the match. Wow. That, that's going to be an uh, interesting one to say. But yeah, make sure that you join us. We'll have Owen on board for that. Boy, I bet he can't wait <laughs> to check After out. that ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> to check out Bash of the Beach 1998. That is coming up next. You can check out the full archive of our episodes of Reliving the War online at greywolfentertainment.net or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, my name is Nims Azor. For Simon Tackler, we have been Reliving the War. Make sure you check out the socials. Grey Wolf ENT is where you can follow and uh, see when we do our new posts. And we'll catch you next time for Bash of the Beach 1998. <laughs>